Welcome to Out of the Question, a podcast that looks behind some common questions and uncovers the question behind the question while providing real solutions for biblical world and life view. Your host is Andrea Schwartz, a teacher and mentor and founder of the Chalcedon Teacher Training Institute. Thanks for tuning in again today to this episode of the Out of the Question podcast. You know, I was born just after the Korean War ended, so the first conflict I was aware of was during the Vietnam War during my grammar school and high school years. Back then, there was so much disharmony in the country that few people would think of going up to someone in uniform and telling them, thank you for your service. Many wars and conflicts have appeared on the landscape since then, yet After 9-11, it became a thing to go up to those in uniform and thank them for their service. And of course, throughout my life, I would see displays of patriotism, such as parades on traditional holidays like the 4th of July, Memorial Day, and Veterans Day. Truth be told, though, I knew very little about what military life was actually like, relying on Hollywood and media sources to provide depictions of those who serve in the military and their families. Since the onset of the measures implemented since the COVID pandemic, Americans are once again disillusioned by their government. In the midst of this, views about current military personnel and their families are virtually ignored or caricatured. In March of 2022, I interviewed former JAG officer and constitutional expert John Eidsmo in response to the question, do military personnel forfeit their constitutional rights? His answer was a categorical no. Today's episode is meant to further inform you, hopefully challenge you and activate you by giving a voice to those who represent a large group of persecuted men and women in the armed services who have been ignored and silenced. Too often, believers consider having the correct intellectual or theological perspective sufficient to place them in good standing with God. However, because of such thinking, when real trouble comes, they don't always have the knowledge or fortitude to respond as the warriors we should be for the kingdom of God. What's more, there has been a trend in our society to discourage men acting like men, seeking to make them more sentimental creatures, relinquishing their manhood, rather than living out their God-given roles to protect and defend. I am joined today by two men who are more than qualified to address the question I'm going to ask, because they both share an allegiance to the Bible and have a biblical worldview. Both have not shied away from challenges or difficulties, but have put their lives on the line when it came to defending their faith, their families, and their country. So this is the question I'm posing. Is our country still worth protecting and defending? Lieutenant Colonel Pete Chambers, also known as Doc Chambers, grew up in rural America as the son of an immigrant father who also became a small town doctor. He joined the Army in 1983 and has served either active duty, Army Reserves, or Army National Guard for a total of 37 years. After his first honorable discharge, he had a break in service to complete college and medical school. He subsequently served as a special operations surgeon and Green Beret in the Texas National Guard. 
He has worked as a rural emergency medicine physician and served as a commissioned deputy sheriff and a SWAT team medic and operator. After the United States was attacked on 9-11, he returned to the U.S. Army Special Forces. Doc was at ground zero shortly after the Twin Towers fell, and he says his experiences during those three days would mold his fortitude to get back to work. At age 45, he was chosen as the first physician to attend the Special Forces Qualification Course from selection through the culmination exercise. He graduated the Special Forces Qualification Course at 47 years of age, earning the coveted Green Beret. Now, this may sound like a rather long resume and bio, but I'm really just scratching the surface. What I should say, though, is that among all the various things he has done and accomplished, he was awarded the Purple Heart, the Bronze Star Medal, and the Combat Medical Badge. His last deployment with Special Forces was completed in January of 2020, and he served as a member of Special Operations Detachment in the Texas National Guard. And he just recently retired on May 30th, 2022. So, Doc, which I'll call you throughout this interview, thank you for joining me today and offering what I hope will be some straightforward words to the people who are listening in terms of an understanding what's going on in our country. Yes, ma'am. I, I'm, a, I'm honored to be here. And uh, I'll make sure that the next time we give a bio, it's the short version. <laughs> well, I think I just gave the short version. <laughs> <laughs> well, after 39 years, I always tell people, well, you get to do a few things. So that's, oh, uh, I had you at 37. Excuse me. Well, that's okay. Now. It's been a couple more since that was written. Okay. The second person I have with me today is John, and I'm intentionally omitting his last name. He's a major in the Air Force with over 15 years in the military. He has served a majority of that time as an aviator flying on one of the military intelligence surveillance and reconnaissance aircraft. He has deployed numerous times to multiple theaters with the latest this past summer, providing overwatch for the U.S. troops withdrawing from Afghanistan. He spent three years serving on a joint staff tour involved in plans and policy for joint intelligence operations. John currently faces the potential of early termination from the military for objecting to being injected with the COVID-19 shot. He has sought a religious exemption, which has been denied on both the initial and appealed request. So as I said, I'm not just finding people with opinions here. I'm talking to men who have laid down their life, sacrificed for not only their country, but their family, because anybody who knows anything about military service would realize that uh, men are gone for a period of time. And that puts a strain on family life as well. So let's begin with you, Doc. In light of your past, what is your take on the current attitude and conduct of the military in dealing with issues that are involving with this COVID shot and how the general population, do they even understand what's going on? I'll start with basing my opinion on this, that it's based upon a, a lifetime of, as in a lower enlisted guy, as a more senior, understanding getting out and then coming back in as an officer, where my job Essentially, as an officer, I had to adopt the rule that all branches understand that I'm responsible for everything that happens or fails to happen as a leader. And that requires 
something that is actually biblical, and it's it's biblical in the doctrine of lesser magistrates. And Daniel did this with Darius, and uh, he he interposed for the people of Judea, and he he went to them and said, "Hey, Darius, you know you got to let my people go, to so to speak." And uh, then he was dimed out by some of the people for not kneeling before the king, and then thrown in the lion's den. That's interposition, and that is the doctrine of lesser magistrates. Now, as an officer, it is our duty to interpose. We call those orders. And when we receive an order, and it's lawful, we follow it to the nth degree. In some cases where I've given orders downrange as a, as a commander, and it resulted in ser- soldiers being wounded or, or uh, died in action because it was an action that we had to go into, and, and they, were, they were killed in action. So that's a hard thing to deal with as an officer, and, and you do, but you have to interpose. And if it was an unlawful order, then you have to exhibit what in the Army side of the house we call the, the, um, the Army values. And number seven is told personal courage. And so when I see something that's wrong, and when I saw the shots come out, um, I didn't really know whether they were good or bad. I didn't know what they were. We didn't know much about COVID when it first came out, but as we learned more and the, the VAERS data came out and the Defense Medical Epidemiology Database came out, we went to our leaders and uh, there were certain few of us, there were four actually, that went to Senator Johnson from Wisconsin and said, sir, we've tried to go to all of our leaders and say, we've exhausted our resources. Nobody will listen to us. And he did. He allowed us to be whistleblowers. And that is the point which you cross over from being somebody that your commanders like to somebody they dislike immensely because now you're bringing truth to light. And when you bring truth to light and it makes them look like they have egg on their face, which is not what it's about. This is about what's right. And when you do what's right, you go from being up here where you're a green beret doctor to boy, we wish this guy would leave. And that's what happened to me. I was fired. I was rehired. I was, uh, threatened, coerced, uh, lost my orders, took my, my disability, not my disability, my, um, my medical uh, coverage. Uh, I lost that for a period of time. I had to go back, buy it myself, my TRICARE. These are things that happen, and that, that happens under what, what I call the shadow regulation system because regulations exist for the, for the correct uh, lawful orders to have somewhere to hang upon. And when you have a shadow regulation system, which is what I'm seeing to service members like John and, and others, and I've just done two other podcasts today talking about this very same thing. This is, this is a problem. It's become the norm, and this is not supposed to be the norm. Look, I came in in 1983. I saw shadow regulation systems exist at very different levels where something didn't seem right, but okay, we'll let it get away with it. it this is a little bit wrong. This is the norm now with regard to these shots. And, and what people need to understand, the listeners need to understand is, Yes, we, we, we are under the Constitution, and we do not lose our constitutional rights, but we have a uniform code of military just, justice, which dictates how we are to be prosecuted or, or to be, uh, if we don't follow an order that's lawful. But if an order is unlawful, that's a gray area, and that allows a lot of room for the shadow system to take place. And that's what's happened to me and others out there as I've interposed and, and tried to do informed consent and was told not to, et cetera. Okay, so if you know, like I said, a lot of us are governed by Hollywood movies. You know, during or after World War II, everybody was in favor of whatever the US military did. Then, as I said, in Vietnam, you had more of the anti military movies. 
are military service people slaves? Is it like when you sign up, is it that you have to do whatever you're told and they want you to park your brain and your conscience somewhere else? Is that what you're told as somebody who goes through boot camp? I don't want you to think. I just want you to do what I, I tell you to do. Well, I, I've never been told that. Um, I do believe that there is a certain degree of, uh, in basic, having been an enlisted guy who carried a rifle and put a bayonet on the end of it, uh, that you have to understand that when you receive orders, that your officers and your senior enlisted are looking out for the best of what the mission uh, accomplishment is and marrying it up with what is best for the soldier to mitigate any damages that could take place upon that soldier or sailor or airman marine. Uh, there is no, there, there should not be a system where uh, you're just a robot or a slave. So I don't, I don't believe that. A lot of people have said that to me, and more obviously civilians, and I, I say no. We actually are critical thinkers. And as a matter of fact, me as a, as a Green Beret, it is, it is incumbent upon us to be a critical thinker and to be able to stand up to the next higher in command, or like in my case, all the way up to a congressman, and say no, that's not right. And then try to discuss as best I can why I believe that my theory is correct. If I'm given the order and is lawful, then I have to do it. Yes, that is, that in that case it is. But it's it's not really a slavery as it is. Uh, it's a service, right? Because the Bible does talk about soldiers and warfare, so it's mm-hmm. not like this is something that Christians can't go near. I'm going to bring John into the discussion right now. It's no secret, John, that the mainstream media has been a voice for those who hate our country and seek to produce a worldwide government that destroys the idea of national boundaries and interests. The sad part is that so many who call themselves believers have adopted the views fed to them and have little understanding of what is currently going on in the military. So what sorts of comments or questions do you get from those in your community or church which let you know that their views on military life and purpose are not all that realistic or even accurate. That's a really good question. And, and I, I didn't think I would have to say this for this reason, but uh, when I first joined the military, but either way, since I am still in uniform, I have to say that my views are my own and do not reflect that of the U.S. government. And, and I think I actually uh, am saying that because I, prefer my views to those of the U.S. government. I don't want people thinking that that I think like the majority of the people who who have the, the that perception of blind obedience, and, and especially with what they've been doing lately. So I put that disclaimer out there kind of for, for a twofold reason. But in terms of the questions that I get from people in the community, people uh, that I'm in different social groups with, it's almost a daily conversation uh, if if not every other day, and I get random questions that reflect their level of understanding. And the one that I got just the other day kind of expressed the perspective that, well, you know, I was in the military too. We got we lined up and we got all these shots. Uh, didn't question it. Uh, didn't think anything about it. And uh, so, what's what's the big deal? What's changed? What might be different? And and I think Doc Chambers already alluded some to that that. You know, when when things start happening, you don't recognize it right away. Uh, but we are taught, like he said, to think critically when we take that oath of office at the very beginning. You know, we are swearing to support and defend the Constitution. 
against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And even if that means the ideologies that would seek to undermine the very precepts the Constitution sits on. And then at the end, which unfortunately has recently become optional, uh, you say, so help me God. And so I think that speaks to some of the history behind that oath and what it really meant in the beginning to swear to uphold the Constitution and what it stood for. You know, Ronald Reagan says, we have to reject the idea that every time a law is broken, society is guilty rather than the lawbreaker. It's time to restore the American precept that each individual is accountable for his actions. And that was Ronald Reagan. I think he's right. And I think that when that oath is taken, whether you know all the enemies you're going to encounter from there till the end of your service term, that's what you are saying that you will do with each action you take, with each circumstance you encounter as a personal responsibility. You can't look back on the end and go, well, I, I didn't know, or I didn't seek to know, or, or I just forgot that I was supposed to think critically and evaluate things through a lens that sought to uphold a higher standard. And in this case, we're saying the Constitution is what is written in there, but at the end, it's all upheld by God. And I think that speaks to, you know, Psalm 33, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And so those, those freedoms and those rights that are in the Constitution as reflecting back on what is presented in the Bible. And I think when the, I get that, com, uh, that question from people of, well, I just, we took shots before, what's different? Well, circumstances change every day. And another news thing comes out or another fact is dropped and you have to look at it like Doc said before, and think about it critically, evaluate and do your research and not just swallow what might be pre presented to you and carry on and say, well, I, I just didn't want to think about it that hard or yeah, I just really didn't want to take that oath that seriously and, and look into the Constitution when a lot of Americans, even service members, have never read the Constitution. Oh, that's uh, so true. Absolutely. And I think that's a foul. If you're going to take a, an oath to uphold it, you need to know what it says so that you can rightly defend it and support it in day-to-day, -day, uh, just regular actions. And then when things like a, quote, pandemic happen, and you have to make bigger choices and bigger decisions of, of evaluation. So I'll like this question be for either one of you. Is the order in terms of loyalty for a soldier, my country, my family, and God, or is it the other way around, God, my family, and my country? So I'll, I'll start off with that one, being the senior ranking guy here. Um, <laughs> but former, now I'm a civilian. But, uh, you know, I think everybody has their, their walk that they have to walk. And for, for me and mine, we follow the Lord, me and my family, obviously. And so that is number one. But under that, and in Romans 13, it says, you know, you fall under authorities, but those are to be not just authorities, but godly authorities. You know, if if I was in a, a Nazi prisoner of war camp and they were my authorities at that time, I still have under the laws of the Geneva Convention the duty to try to escape. So I would have a different authority there. So I wouldn't put the Nazi prisoner of war camp, number one. I would say, well, my truest authority is that. But I still have to go every day and be in formation and I have to not be caught escaping, otherwise I, I face, a, face a retribution. So there, there's that. So if you find yourself in a situation where you're having to answer to unlawful orders or be 
coerced with unlawful orders at that point, then that takes a lesser rung. Now, my family, when I'm home, I'm 100%. When I am downrange, I have to focus because I'm, people's lives are in my hands as a commander. And I have had that uh, situation. So the mission, the men, and then me in that situation, that's how it goes. The mission, the men, and me. God is still overriding it all. It's not even in that equation for me because God is still overriding it. But that is, that's the order with which I look at my own personal um, uh, ranking system there. So everybody has a different answer for that, I would believe. But I think in general, I speak for, for at least my particular unit that I just came from, that that seemed to be most of our, uh, our beliefs. And I'll let John explain his, but it, it, it's so situational dependent. Um, but you still have, I think God still goes first. And then uh, when you're downrange, you're working it, kind of have to put it that way. Okay. John, anything to add to that? Yeah, so I'll if if I'm just going to stick to the three categories that you listed in terms of country, family, God, uh, I would say that they generally are going to go God, family, country. In my, in my perspective, God is the ultimate authority. He is the one that we're seeking to serve. He's the one, like I said, that underroots that commitment to the Constitution and one's duty uh, as a, a sworn officer. After that, you've, you've got a, a family, right? And that, that is one of the, the primary institutions that God ordained. And so uh, you see it in the Ten Commandments. You see it all throughout the Bible, right? Adam and Eve started a family um, before there was a primary nation. And so the family comes next. Now, a, a lot of people would say there's a competing interest there because the country as Doc Chambers just pointed out, seems to take primacy over the family when a person dies in uniform. But I would say that that is not necessarily the country usurping the family because the family is the more basic building block of the country, but it is that individual seeking to serve God for the protections of their family under the flag of the country that is hopefully serving the Lord. All right. So. I know and have known a number of Christians who joined the service because of their love for their family and wanting to protect their family and defend their family and their country. And so a lot of times, I'm sure, when service people run into difficulties, they'll get the response from maybe well-meaning people or maybe just ignorant people. Well, that's what you signed up for. And if you don't like it, why don't you just quit? You know, because they're so used to, if they don't like something, that they should just quit. As though being in the military somehow or other is this optional thing that you can take or leave. Yeah, when you sign up, you sign up for a commitment. And you're saying, this is my yay, this is my nay, this is my word, I'm going to take an oath to serve. And there's usually a, a term that's assigned to that service especially for enlisted folks, as I'm sure Doc could speak to from more experience-based perspective. But when you, there's a term that's with kind of a deadline of you're going to be out unless you re-enlist and you recommit uh, to that service. And in those cases, again, that oath of office is re-administered. Um, you are essentially leaving the service and coming right back in all at the same time. I see. Um, 
For officers, it is more open-ended. You are appointed an officer until you retire or you resign uh, that commission. And so, yeah, it, in a sense, it's what you signed up for, but that does not overtake your requirement to do justice, right? And so... And even justice for yourself. Right. Yeah. Exactly. It's not just justice for other people, but not you. And I know there's also an attitude, and maybe, Doc, you can speak to this, that being in the military is dirty. It's kind of like you have people who are untrustworthy as commander-in-chief sometime, and then you know he's in office or he's out of office. And I think they forget that in Paul's letters, he talks about the people in Caesar's household. And he doesn't tell people in Caesar's household, run away, leave, you can just resign, because obviously they could not do that. Right. So comment on that and, and the attitude, because I imagine sometimes hearing this from American citizens or even fellow churchgoers hurts in a way that uh, sort of penetrates a lot more than someone who you don't know. Yes, ma'am. So I'm going to say that if you if you ever ask me a question or you really know me, you know, you're going to get a straight answer. So this is a straight answer. And this is going to this is going to, uh, you know, I don't beat around the bush. War is ugly. It's the ugliest thing that exists. I've seen it. I've been a, I've been on the ground for a lot of it. And it is an ugly place. And sometimes as a soldier, you're sent to places you don't want to go. You don't believe in the overall cause in the sense that I think that my government is making a political or a, a policy decision that doesn't make sense. Well, that's at the strategic political level. I'm at the tactical level. Okay. I'm where the rubber meets the road. I still have to scoot up. I still got to jump out of a plane. I still got to walk a long distance, find the enemy, close and destroy the enemy. And it's very ugly. It's a very ugly place and should only be reserved for exigent circumstances. However, I am not a policymaker. Therefore, I have to take those orders. And so there are things that happened in the, in the past 20 years in Afghanistan, for example, where when they shut that down and, it, and, the, and the place crumbled in, in less than you know a couple of weeks, it's hard to take. And then you have to ask yourself, was that worth it? It's a book that I'm writing right now, and that's the subject. It's, was it worth it? And, and, and in my struggles and in my thoughts and my sleepless nights and, and in the 21 soldiers that I personally have put in a body bag, I will tell you that I had to find strength from my God and from Jesus and from the Holy Spirit's interposition for me or, or to with the, the darkness that I was fighting, that it was worth it because I found one thing and I found the truth, that the truest virtue of a warrior. I thought when I was 18 years old, it was how well do I shoot my rifle? What kind of medals can I get? How cool do I look if I get a green beret on my head? That's what a young man thinks of. When am I going to get to combat? You know, ooh, you know, I tell young men now, I say, beware of what you wish for, son. And, it, and the truest virtue of a warrior is love. Okay. That is the truest virtue. It's love. It's love for one another. John 15, 13, that greater love now hath, hath no man than to lay down his life for his friend. But it's also, it's that we don't operate out of hate on the battlefield. We don't operate on hate what's in front of us. We operate on, out of love for what's behind us and playing off of what John said. The love that's what's behind us is our family. I, 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 I fight side by side with my troops, but my family or your family or you or anybody out there that sits in this country, whether they believe in what we're doing or not, we love what's behind us. And that is the truest virtue. And that's, that's what I have found. So no matter how, how ugly it is, love still exists. And that, that's where we are able to 
uh, to exercise that. Yeah. John, I know that uh, you're involved with a lot of other people and uh, sometimes you get calls at all hours of people wanting help. And, you know, should I just give in? Should I hold to the idea that I don't think it's right that I take this injection for any number of reasons? In your experience, is the almost uniform denial of religious exemptions something that you've ever seen before? Or do you think really there are those who want to run Christians out of the military? And do you think Christians should go without a fight? Well, um, <laughs> I, I can speak to what um, has been said. I don't know the true hearts and, and intents of uh, the leadership. But I, but I know that when the current Secretary of Defense took his current position, he vowed to rid the military of extremism. And extremism can paint a lot of different people, depending on what your, what your perspective is. If you're an atheist, then a conservative Christian is probably an extremist. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, there was a lot of training that happened recently after he took office to help combat right-wing extremism in the military. Some of the events surrounding the COVID vaccine exemptions and how that has all played out, I don't know that I've ever seen, now, of course, I don't have as many years under my belt as Dr. Chambers, but I don't know that I've ever seen a protest against or an objection to a policy decision that senior leaders made of quite this magnitude, where this many service members said, I don't want to do this. I have a moral, ethical, religious objection to what I'm being asked to do. And I'm either going to ask for the permission not to do it based on my sincerely held beliefs, or I'm just going to refuse to do it. Or if I am retirement eligible, I'm just going to get out and avoid it altogether. And then on the flip side of that, in terms of recruitment, then you're finding people just aren't joining the military at all either. And so in, in terms of in terms of that, it's a um, I think there is a concerted effort to see people that don't necessarily agree with the with the senior leadership to be out of the military and have folks that agree more. Now you mentioned Caesar's household and that the individual was not told to leave Caesar's household, but he was also not told to go back to Caesar's household and just do whatever Caesar said. Right. There was still the expectation that he was going to act justly within the confines of the household that he was in where, wherever he could. And so even if, and he meant, you know, doc mentioned, if you don't agree with the policy of those over you, You might not have all the resources or the time to be able to investigate to the degree to which you'd like what is motivating them or causing them to make the decisions they're making that you don't agree with. But that doesn't give you the excuse to jettison your own obligation to perform justice in the war that they've put you in. Yes. You might not agree with the just war but that doesn't excuse you from performing to your best ability justice in that war that you've been placed in. Okay. Doc, what would a military look like if there were no Christians in the military? Ooh, 
that would be devastating to the national security of this nation. The national security would not be blessed by an omnipotent, loving God. And we would, we would not have good order and discipline that we have really have and are losing, but good order and discipline comes from those basic principles that are outlined in the Bible. And good order and discipline and, and that, that, uh, that, and those laws that we were given. And, you know, we don't, we don't, you know, we, we're, we're saved not through laws, but they're created for our own good. Uh, our country was based upon it. Our laws are based upon that. That, that good order and discipline is what makes, made, made, it's hard to say this, made us successful. And I pray, I pray that things like this show and things like, uh, the, the lawsuits that are still continuing and, and all the, the actions on the fronts that we're on are successful, that we can save what is salvageable, but daily becoming unsalvageable. Right. John, I know uh, that uh, you obviously are facing things like potential court martial being dismissed, even losing all that you've accumulated for the 15 years that you've been there, but you've seen vaccine or what they call a vaccine injury. You've seen the injuries. So what's it like for your fellow service people who see that people have been injured and they're still being told you have to do this anyway? Well, I think it just strengthens their resolve to not take it. Um, That their initial objection to it, while it might have been based in a, a moral ethical decision, I think it just strengthens the resolve that they won't take it because they're seeing the results of uh, if they were to compromise that belief that they would be opening themselves to potential injury as well. And, and you're right. The stories are almost daily. I had another friend just got the second shot and this is what happened. Uh, and you talk to people in, within the medical core, such as doc chambers and, and it's confirmed. Yes, this is a known side effect and Believe it or not, it's not uncommon. We are seeing this on a, on a regular basis. We're not seeing it publicized on a regular basis other than through whistleblowers and, and other folks who are bringing that to the forefront of media, trying to get attention and light shown on it. But that is not a, that is not a very common thing either. Uh, and so I, I think if anything, to answer your question, it, it strengthens the resolve of people. And, and I think you're seeing that resolve play out in things like the court system, right? So like I said before, you, I don't know you've ever seen quite the pushback that, that this is generating. And I think that is one of the ways that's evident is not just in the thousands of uh, requests that have been submitted for an exemption, but also because of how those are going so poorly. And it, it seems like almost a, a complete railroading that uh, you've got over in some counts, depending on what aspect you're looking at 30 cases in the court system, 10 of those for sure. There are 10 cases in the federal court system fighting based on that religious aspect with hundreds of others in, in several other cases fighting on the uh, legality of the order on its face. So whether it's religious uh, or just people thinking critically and going, this doesn't make sense. 
you're seeing major put pushback and, and resolve as more and more cases are brought to the federal court system, uh, as more and more denials come back and the picture becomes that much clearer day by day, people are realizing that the only way out of this is that is to seek either relief through the judicial system, the different court cases, or through the legislative system, which is why people are reaching out and trying to contact their congressmen and their senators, largely with with no no reception. Uh, usually, it's a it falls on deaf ears. But there are a few who are starting to understand and see the picture, whether that's for uh, political expediency or or not. It's starting to have a little bit of a of traction. Uh, all right, Doc, let me ask you this. When you've been at this soldier game for, it's not really a game, but you know what I mean, since 1983. Mm-hmm. All right. So do you look at what you're currently working on, helping service people and trying to get this out there every bit as much as being a loyal American, being a loyal soldier as you did whenever you went into combat? I mean, is this fight just as important as any other fight you've been in? This fight is more important, and, and here's why. I, I, I sat down and did the math one time and figured out how many times I put my hands on a patient downrange, and this exponentially will, and this is over several trips uh, downrange, this will exponentially affect so many more people being wounded. I'm calling it wounded. I, I still believe this is a bioweapon, and I still believe that this is biowarfare. It should be uh, authorized that a, that a soldier, sailor, airman, or Marine receives a Purple Heart once they find out that this was biowarfare. And if it wasn't, either way, they were mandating something that is destroying our soldiers' lives, our families, destroying humanity if we allow it. Yeah, I, I, this fight is way, way bigger. I thought I was going to go to the house and go work cattle, and uh, I found out otherwise. Yeah. So when you took your oath, both of you, you took it for enemies, foreign and domestic. And uh, I think this probably falls under the domestic category. Correct. And, it, and it's not to support and defend a president or a vice president. It's the Constitution of the United States. That's what we are taking that oath towards. All right. So, John, you're, um, you're in the midst of the fight. All right. And um, you're not caving in. You're not crying in your beer. I don't know if you drink beer, but you don't appear to be crying in your beer. So what keeps you going? In other words, you're not in the position like Doc who could retire because you hadn't put in as much time, although it's hard to call Doc retired right now. Um, He's just doing it with a cowboy hat on instead of, uh, you know, with a, a combat helmet. But how can you stay optimistic about the future? What What makes you hang in there? Uh, twofold. Uh, one is, like we've kind of alluded to, seeing the fight around me. There's other people who are struggling. There's other people who are in this same boat. Now, initially, that wasn't the case. You had a lot of attempts to stovepipe and not let all of us who were in this fight know that there was anybody else in the camp. Right? They wanted everybody kind of, kind of walking around, not not knowing who was with them and who was against them. And, and that was easier. Everybody was wearing masks and, and there wasn't a whole lot of distinction. There was at one point masks went away except for unvaccinated. And then we all kind of got to see who each other was uh, a little bit. We had our, our own little markers on ourselves and, 
and kind of felt like it was reminiscent of uh, World War II Germany. But it, so seeing the other people around me and going, you know, these are my brothers. These are the least of these. We are in persecution together. I'll call it that. And, and so to stand by them and say, we'll stand as long as we can stand linked arm in arm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so doing that with my, my fellow brother, and I'll call them brothers, not just because they're in the service as well, but because they are in the service of God as well. And, and that is, that comes through loud and clear when, when we talk to each other about where we're standing and, and we talk about why we're doing what we're doing. Mm-hmm. The second aspect of that is, you know, that a lot of the attempts to get service members to be vaccinated are founded on fear, whether it's trying to convince us that there is a, a virus to be afraid of that, that requires a specific solution, or whether it's a fear of not being able to provide for a family or fear of going to prison, which has happened to a lot of people in the Bible before, um, or fear of losing medical insurance or you name it. If, if fear can be weaponized to get people to comply, then it will be. But unfortunately there for them, we serve a greater God. And so while we're linked up arm in arms, we are reminding each other that God is faithful and that he will provide and he will care for those who stand on his truth and on his word. And all throughout the process, I have seen more encouragement than discouragement. And what I mean by that is, yeah, I might get my, my religious request denied today, but yesterday and tomorrow, I will have an encouragement in my life that God is the only one who could, could have placed it there, where I have a, a fellow, fellow brother linked arm and on go, hey, uh, I'm in the reserves or I'm in the guard. And I've got connections. And so if this all goes south, don't worry about it. You know, we can, we can get you connected. Send me your resume. Uh, and then tomorrow, you know, we hear about how someone has, has taken a stand and, and has, has peace about it. And, and God has provided another means of employment for them should they need to seek employment. So, you know, while, while one attempt to weaponize that fear to me specifically was a comment where someone said, you know, it's, it's $4 million total in retirement benefits that you're going to just be flushing down the drain. You need to think about that and think about it as 2 million per shot. And that's, that's a lot of money. And while it's not a small amount of money, uh, it's certainly no comparison to what God has at his disposal. Right. It's not, it's not working. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So I also have been informed that for people who will leave the service because of this, that they may be charged back for their training. Is that something you've been threatened with? Uh, not necessarily training. Uh, there is that that threat. Uh, and I think that that's one of those things where we've all kind of just reconciled that if we get to that bridge, then we'll wait for God to provide the the solution and the way out. I think the, the primary threat for that has been folks at the academy. Um, and we'll see how, how that works out. But in terms of uh, back pay, that, that has been a threat from the beginning. But that's something that we've kind of compensated for and said, okay, if we had to pay something back, this is the amount and we can save and pray and 
see see where God takes this. So that, okay. Continuing to rely on him to to provide the, the way forward. All right. Now I'm going to ask both of you this question. You know, I do think it's a truism that behind strong and great men, there are strong and great women. Um, do you find that most of the wives whose husbands are encountering this are turning into weeping uh, women going, oh, no, just please just just do what they say? Or do you find that sometimes your wives are um, maybe the ones who bolster you up when you start feeling that way? Who wants to take that one? I'll, I'll, I'll go first. I, I would say, you know, in a in the biblical sense, I've got a bit of a Spartan wife. And there are definitely been times where I'd, I'd say it's gone back and forth. Of how are we going to get out of this? You know, her asking me and, and me providing some of the context of different avenues we can take the where God can provide the rest, but that there are, there are not all exits shut off to us. There is hope. There is a way. And then the, a couple of days later, then I find myself stumbling, maybe faltering a little bit. And then she provides that encouragement. And we've made the comment that uh, we fight back to back. Right. And so we're we're constantly trying to encourage each other and lift each other up in, in, in the Lord. So but as far as everybody else, we have I think it I think it is the same way for for most couples in this instance. People are sinners in their week from time to time. And so while they have resolve and they have the, their principles, their biblical principles that they're committed to, they stumble and they trip. And that's why God has given us great help meets to pick each other up in those, in those times and encourage each other in the Lord. So I think it's, I think it's both. Um, All right. What about you, doc? Well, I'm going to say that uh, I'm also married to a Spartan type wife who is very uh, independent, grew up on a ranch, tough uh, family practice doctor. She's uh, way smarter and way tougher than I am. Um, but she's also been the same person that received the phone call on our invasion of Iraq that uh, was from the Department of Defense saying, your husband's been wounded in combat. And he's in the hospital right now, and that's all we can tell you. And then she went to her knees and nearly passed out. And so, you know, they still have a soft side. But uh, when I'm down, she's up. And when she's down, I'm up. And that's just kind of how it's been working for us. But that, that's required. And I just unfortunately spoke to a, a soldier a little while ago that because of these mandates and because he's getting out, and because he doesn't have a future job, he and his wife are splitting up. Mm-hmm. It's destroying not only physically, but relationships and, and it's destroying a lot of things. It's destroyed my, my trust in my government uh, with yeah. regards to vaccines. So there are, there are second and third order effects that we will not see for some time. So I started off by asking the question, do you think the country is still worth protecting and defending? And it sounds like you both are saying yes, but it's not necessarily going to look like the way most people think it will look like. Yeah, we're we're in the fight right now. We're protecting and defending right now. Yeah. All right, gentlemen. So tell me this. All right. The my audience, I quite frankly don't know how extensive my audience is, but I do get nice comments from people from not, from time to time. So I imagine somebody's listening. What would you ask them to do to position themselves shoulder to shoulder with you? 
What what would be what it is would be your request? Um, well, I'll start off on that one. I think for us, we have found that uh, one of the avenues with which we've been trying to seek a little bit of help has been through the different branches of the government. We're not getting any help from the executive branch. They're kind of the ones that we're trying to defend ourselves against a little bit. So that led to my, my earlier comment that we're, we're looking at both the judicial and the legislative side. Now, you can't do a whole lot to influence judges um, other than to pray for them and hope that they judge righteously. But you can present those court cases. Uh, and so that is being done by, by righteous men seeking to find relief in that avenue. Then on the other side, you've got that legislative piece, which I think is probably where every citizen has a responsibility if they're going to be a part of their, their country and, and government, both at the, at the local and state, but then also at the national level. And so while the military is generally considered a federal fighting force or a federal force, there are things that people can do at all those different levels and I think should be getting involved at all those different levels. So while the predominance of the, of the relief will probably come from the federal level, getting involved in government, talking to your legislator, whether that's U.S. Senator or representative or state senator or representative, as the case may be, and trying to get them to bring attention to it, to acknowledge it, uh, and to do something about it. And a lot of the responses we've got from representatives has been, well, that's that's the executive branch and the president is the is the king. They don't say king, but that's pretty much how the attitude comes across. And and there's really just not a lot we can do. And, and that's not true because they've already tried to do something and had a little bit of success in the National Defense Authorization Act for fiscal year 22. There was a little blurb put in there about how the, the military could not separate anybody for the sole purpose of refusing the COVID-19 vaccine with any service characterization less than honorable or general under honorable. And so that wasn't a long-term solution, but it was a bumper. Yeah, It was a bumper pad that prevented complete annihilation and, and persecution of a lot of service members uh, as they are and have been uh, getting separated. And so there can be a, an effect had when people are communicating with and staying on top of and, and actually exercising their right to be represented by their elected officials at the federal level. All right. So, Doc, now that you're not wearing uniform anymore and you're a civilian, mm -hmm. um, you can do things that John obviously can't do because mm -hmm. you have um, avenues open to you. What would you say to people who say, I had no idea this was going on. I really want to help and contribute. How can they and where should they direct their efforts towards? So I'll answer it this way. In, a, in, in my job as a Green Beret, if I was told to go to a foreign country and uh, there was a there was a oppressive leader or oppressive uh, third party actor that was coming down on their their citizens doing something wrong. I would need three kinds of people to help me on the doers, the people on the ground doing stuff, people that could help supply. And they just let's say they can't get a house. So they, they're going to be auxiliary. They help with money or they help with donations or or just phone calls. And then uh, and then there'll be a, another force will go out kind of like lobbyists and they you know, they, they get out and they talk to the they could make phone calls. So. 
you have all these three, find a place where you can go and, and in chaos, the first world of chaos, which is the environment that we're in, it seems, control the controllables. Don't let it take you. Don't live in a spirit of fear. Stay in the word. Continue to pray and, and control what you can control. So if you can just do a little bit, you know, you can find, find people like John's wife who are very active and very much on the coattails of these, of these uh, legislators that we put in office, by the way, who should represent us. Right. Uh, support them. You know, just find something. Do something. It doesn't have to be every day, but some little thing. It'll add up. I promise you. There's more of us than there is of them. All right. Is there a place or a website they can go to to connect with you, connect to where if they wanted to make a donation to help with legal fights, medical yes, fights? What, tell us what that is. Absolutely. At truthforhealth.org. Truth, T-R-U-T-H-F-O-R, health, H-E-A-L-T-H, dot org, O-R-G. Um, there is a place where they are helping people in the legal flights, helping service members, also in, in treatment uh, if they are post-vaccine wounded. Um, and that's Dr. Lee Vliet, V-L-I-E-T. She, she runs Truth for Health, and I'm on the military council. That's a place that I have that's directly helping us in what I'm doing. And then John may have something else that, that we could consider. Anything else, John, that we should add? In all of these legal battles, you know, lawyers aren't free. They, they try to give of their time and, and energies as much as they can, um, but they still have families to, to, to support as well. And, and as men and women are getting kicked out of the military, they are for a time losing that ability to support their families. So there's a numerous uh, cases going in uh, foundations. Uh, Foundation for Moral Law has been supporting it in Alabama. You've got Thomas More Society, First Liberty Institute, Liberty Council, Alliance for Free Citizen. So uh, just the list, the, the list is uh, continues to grow uh, of folks that are trying to help in the legal battle. Um, there is a, a Midwest case that it uh, involves men, men and women from the Midwest, and they've they've started a uh, Give Send Go called Airmen for Religious Freedom. Uh, where they're trying to raise money for folks that are being impacted by uh, loss of pay, as well as to help fund legal fights. So that is one additional avenue. Very good. Okay. Last question. I always say last question, but I really do think this is my last question. It's hard. What you guys are going through is hard. And yet there's a corresponding joy when you're working with people that are fighting as hard as you are, and share the same desire for victory, the same desire for justice. Talk a little bit about, if you would, and I'll have, live, let each of you kind of weigh in on this. What have you gained as you have been fighting this fight? I'll go ahead and start because this one's really going to include John. As I've been in this, and I thought I was alone and unafraid at first, and really was depressed out there on the border, you know, fighting for the 600 soldiers I had at the time then it grew to about 10,000 soldiers. Um, you feel alone and you feel disenfranchised, but then you meet somebody else. I met Dr. Teresa Long and that was great. But going to Iowa and meeting his family, his wife and his, and his kids, uh, I felt like I had another family somewhere else who were all in this fight together. And that is the joy. And that is where the love comes in because then you feel like, okay, this was worth every bit of this fight, just that little piece. So for me, that's, that's, 
a huge part of it. Okay, John, I'll let you have the last word. I would, uh, I would echo his sentiments wholeheartedly. You know, when, when this whole thing first kicked off, like I said before, it very much was a feeling of alone, right? Which is, which is one of the one of the most favorite psychological warfare tactics that that people like to pay make you feel alone you're the only one making this uh fight you're the only one taking this stand and you're really causing a lot of trouble you're making things harder for everybody else and yourself and it's really not that big a deal uh and really just minimize your position and minimize your stand and try to make you feel like it's it's not worth it and so in some senses you feel like you're in a big open desert all by yourself but then when you start realizing that there's one other person out there and then you find another and another and another and you realize that all their lies were, were actually just that, lies. And there's actually a whole lot of people here. At first you go, okay, okay, that was a, that was a test. Am I relying on God and his word for my decisions up front or am I going to just seek the closest group that will make me feel good? And I think throughout this, we've all kind of come together going, we all thought we were alone. And now we've discovered that God was there the whole time. Mm -hmm. And he's the one that we were seeking to serve. And now he's brought us together and given us that opportunity for friendship, for camaraderie, and for encouragement of one another to to take that stand uh, together and to seek justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with him. And so that's, I would echo his sentiments. As we've gotten to know more and more people, it's been a, a building of community throughout this process. So I know there, there are others and we, we can take a stand and we can take, make a difference one step at a time for God's kingdom. Very good. All right. Well, I hope my listeners will make use of the resources that were offered just a little bit ago. You can contact me at outofthequestionpodcast at gmail.com, and I'll supply you with the information that maybe came by too quickly. Thank you, gentlemen, for being part of this, and I feel like um, you've encouraged me, and I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. Thanks for listening to Out of the Question. For more information on this and other topics, please visit calcedon.edu.